Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff, your host. And now, a little music to begin our program. Here we go. Okay, I just love that. I have to play that. It's just, it, it's uh, audio from a real protest, and once again, it was just the grassroots, and, and as opposed to the greenwashing of things, and, and we know what greenwashing is on this show, all right? This is the Environmental Justice Report, and greenwashing is what corporate entities and poli- their political honchos do to make it look like they're actually doing something about the pollution and the environmental racism. It looks like they're doing something, but it's just a cosmetic, all right, a a cheap trick, nothing more. So tonight we're going to talk about how corporations, and we're talking massive corporations, even those that do a lot of alleged philanthropy, such as Bill Gates, Microsoft, basically how corporations are bankrolling anti-democracy bills. So Greenpeace just released a report this week aptly titled Dollars Versus Democracy, Companies and the Attack on Voting Rights and Peaceful Protest. Well, that says a lot right there. Now, this report detailed how large corporations are doing just that. They're bankrolling the majority of anti-democracy bills that are being pushed in state legislatures all over the nation. These bills do have a few things in common, though. They not only actively work to suppress the the voting power of minority and the left, but they also criminalize voting right activity, certain ones, criminalize peaceful protests, and in one instance, they get to put on our little teaser here at the beginning of the show, there's even a bill in Kentucky that we're going to talk about tonight that criminalizes basically saying mean things to a police officer. I wish I were joking, but I'm not. So, and the, all, these, all these bills that criminalize these protected constitutional activities, many of them have severe penalties all the way up to the felony level. Okay, so let's expose these corporate entities and their corporate attorneys aiding and abetting this attack on democratic rule. And make no mistake about it, this is a, an attack on democracy itself. All right. People are waking up. Uh, the 1% are awake to the fact that we're getting more and more of an infusion of communities of color in our general population, more people that are uh, on the political left, and so they're desperate to hold on to power. And they know that the GOP has nothing to offer other than oppression and bigotry. And the Democratic Party, eh, we'll see. There's some corporate Dems that, like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, that got to go. But let's get into the show. I, 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 de- I kind of went off on a little tangent there. So this all started because I was just, looking through, you know, 
the, the media that was on my phone, and I saw this article that was written by Brett Wilkins at Common Dreams. And the headline got me. It said, report reveals major corporations are funding lawmakers behind anti-democracy bills. And it just got my attention. So basically what Wilkins wrote here is how these corporations, quite a few of them, these are big corporations too, have been quietly backing the very uh, fascist legislators that are pushing these anti-democracy bills anti-voter, anti-protest, anti-free speech. And this is happening at the same time these same companies are speaking out, in, ironically, in defense of voting rights and democracy. So they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, all right? They want the, these big corporations, they want the good public relations thing. See, we believe in democracy while, you know, basically slipping the money to these politicians through the back door. Okay, so and unfortunately, it's those of us who are not wealthy, who believe in democracy, we're getting shafted through the collective back door, if you will, also. And yes, that was a certain amount of very nasty sexual innuendo. So let's get to the report. Wilkins found this report and it was published this Monday by Greenpeace USA. And there's a direct quote from the report, quote, even though a growing number of companies have spoken out in defense of democracy and voting rights, many of these same companies contributed to legislators sponsoring anti-voter or anti-protest bills during their most recent election campaigns. As I said earlier, the report is titled Dollars Versus Democracy, Companies in the Attack on Voting Rights and Peaceful Protests, very aptly titled. And what it basically said in you know, information. There were 44 state lawmakers who sponsored at least one anti-protest bill and one anti-voter bill just in the past year. The report also reveals that 53 of the 100 top corporate donors that gave money to lawmakers sponsoring anti-voter bills also ranked among the top 100 contributors to anti-protest measures. So these two things go hand in hand, anti-voter and anti-protest. Not only do these um, fascist companies and these Republicans want to prevent communities of color from voting, unless they happen to be in the Tim Scott, there's no racism here model, or, um, you know, they happen to be fascist themselves, but they want to, they want to prevent people of color from voting. They want to prevent progressives from voting and winning elections, and they want to make sure that our right to protest it disappears as well. So not only do these very wealthy people want to control everything, but they want to make sure that we are so terrified that we are silenced permanently, one way or another. And if suing us with slap suits isn't enough to silence us, then they're going to put us in jail on bogus charges. We're going to get to that. So the report, according to the report, the top 10 corporations that invested the most money in lobbying for anti-protest bills since 2017, can you guess what they are? They're all fossil fuel companies. 
the 10 companies that contributed the most to state lawmakers sponsoring both antitrust, I'm sorry, sponsoring both anti-protest bills um, and I guess anti are the following. I think it looks like I had a typo. Yeah, the 10 companies that contributed the most to state lawmakers sponsoring um, both, I guess, anti-voter and anti-protest bills are. Sit down. You're going to need to. These are well-known companies. AT&T, Dominion Energy, Zurich, North America, and its subsidiaries, although we have to look deeper in the report to find out who their subsidiaries are. Berkshire Hathaway and its subsidiaries. United Health Group. Damn, my insurance is with them. <laughs> MedMax Services. I'm not sure who they are. Charter Communications. Glad my internet isn't with Charter. State Farm Insurance and its subsidiaries. Philip Morris USA. Vistra Energy, which is FKA Energy Future Holdings and its subsidiaries. Again, why AT&T is in there? Hmm. So the report notes the following, quote, even though the, a growing number, I'm sorry, I already read that. It states also that of the 100 companies who endorsed this We Stand for Democracy statement that was issued on April 14th of this year, um, opposing, quote, any discriminatory legislation or measures that restrict or prevent any eligible voter from having an equal and fair opportunity to cast the ballot. So those hundred vote of those hundred companies that stood with this We Stand for Democracy statement, twelve contributed to the sponsors of forty-three anti-voter bills analyzed. Five of the companies that donated the most to sponsors of state anti-voter legislation also rank among the top ten corporate donors to sponsors of anti-protest bills. And it makes sense. The two being basically voter suppression bills and cracking down and criminalizing uh, constitutionally protected dissent, it goes hand in hand. Now, here's the thing. They also said when they looked at the white supremacist attack on January 6th in the Capitol, approximately 130 of those companies paused their political action committee contributions to members of the Insurrection Caucus. The Insurrection Caucus would be the legislators that, you know, have gone along with this big lie that, you know, basically claiming that Trump really won the election, there was all this election fraud, even though there wasn't. So at least 47 of these companies, though, so we have 130 of those companies paused contributions to a political action committee, which gives to members of the Insurrection Caucus. That would be people you know, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Josh Hawley, um, you know, and so on and so forth. But of those... And we want to welcome Janine Maloff this week with part three of Not Dying for Wall Street on Vaccine Apartheid. Sorry about that. I clicked on the wrong thing. Isn't technology great? Okay. I clicked on the wrong thing. Did not mean to. Sorry for the confusion there. Um... Chalk it up to me being not the greatest attack. So 130 companies paused. They stopped their political action committee contributions to members of that insurrection caucus, as I said before, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Josh Hawley, um, 
Lauren Gobert, you can go down the list, okay? But of those 130 companies, at least 47 of them contributed to the sponsors of anti-voter legislation introduced since the January 6th insurrection. The report also stated that the U.S. Chamber of, Con of Commerce strongly was strongly determined to kill the For the People Act, okay? Now, the For the People Act is connected with Stacey Abrams and these other people, and the whole idea is to expand voting rights, to kind of rein in dark money, and to make sure that stronger federal ethics rules are pushed through both the House and the Senate, and it's to make sure that our voting rights are protected and to basically get rid of all those stupid little loopholes, um, which makes perfect sense. But you have to understand something. When you're talking about the U.S. Chamber of Com Commerce who wants to kill the For the People Act, the, P the, the companies that are involved, they might be listed, but they don't have to be listed. There are execs for major corporations such as Ford, IBM, and Microsoft that are on, you know, that not only belong to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, but they're on the board. So don't be fooled by Bill Gates' what I'll call garbage philanthropy. Um, there are executives from the following, Boston Consulting Group, Deloitte, Ford, IBM, Microsoft, and United Airlines that have all voiced very strong opposition to state-level anti-democracy legislation currently serving on the Chamber's Board of Directors. So what they're saying is they're talking out of both sides of their mouth again. You have these top execs from these major corporations who have issued statements that give them, they hope, better PR saying, we're against this anti-democracy legislation. We want to make sure everybody who, who wants to vote can vote. But those same execs are on the cha U.S. Chamber of Commerce's Commerce, wait, U.S. Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors, the same U.S. Chamber of Commerce that wants to kill the For the People Act and is really behind a lot of these anti-democracy bills. You know, again, the hypocrisy is—it's not even subtle. So the report. The, Excuse me, the report also notes that anti-protest bills specifically were designed to target communities of color. Okay, there's no guesswork here. And quote, are a direct response to Black Lives Matter and other, and other BIPOC-led movements laying bare their racist intent. Okay. The director of democracy campaigns at Greenpeace USA, named, uh, somebody named Falabi Olabahu, issued some statements, and here are the statements. Quote, a healthy democracy is a precondition for a healthy environment. When everyone's vote counts and when everyone's constitutionally guaranteed right to peacefully protest is protected, our government becomes more accountable and capable of meeting the demand for racial justice and enacting solutions to the rapidly accelerating climate crisis. We hope this report sheds light on who is behind the attack on our democracy and right to protest and that it will push corporations to take a stand for strong national standards for voting rights and election reform and quit supporting politicians who sponsor or vote for anti-voter and anti-protest legislation. Olabahu continued, 
It's time to ensure all of us have a say in key decisions that affect us all, and our elections reflect the will of the people, not corporations. It is now more urgent than ever to build a just transition away from fossil fuels and fight off attacks against protests and our freedom to vote so that we can have a planet our communities can thrive on. It's true. Jana Morgan, who is the director of the Declaration for American Democracy Coalition, issued some quotes as well. She said, quote, corporate platitudes are not enough. And she called them out. So I'll read it again. Quote, corporate platitudes are not enough. We must build a system that ensures our elected leaders listen to every American. Our time is now. Democracy cannot wait. She went on to say, despite the promising news of corporations speaking out against anti-voter laws in states like Georgia, Greenpeace's latest report demonstrates there's more to be done to make the promise of democracy real for us all. It's time to end the dominance of big corporations and big money in our politics and ensure that our politicians are held accountable to the will of all Americans and not just the wealthy and powerful. She went on to say, to do so, corporations and our political leaders must support passing the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. These transformative bills will ensure that politicians govern in the best interests of the people and ensure the freedom to vote for all Americans. And again, she said, democracy cannot wait. And she's right. So let's look at the Greenpeace report. And it's, it's really, it's 34 pages. Um, the report follows news regarding how these companies have broken their worthless promises to stop supporting fascist lawmakers. And we need to understand what the word fascist means. It's tossed around a lot nowadays. Um, we think of dictatorship and oligarchy but, uh, and a police state, and that's all true. But fascism, especially in the buildup to World War II and the rise of Hitler, for instance, dealt with basically a government that was hand-in-hand and controlled by corporate entities. Okay? Keep in mind, during World War II, when American soldiers were dying in the war effort, the Ford Motor Company, on record, was still providing auto parts and mechanical parts to the Nazi war effort. You can't have it both ways. You just can't. So the Greenpeace report follows the Sunday Insider article, and the article on the Insider revealed that several companies broke their vows, as I said before, to stop contributing to the packs of U.S. lawmakers who supported the January 6th insurrection, who supported the big lie, and... These offenders include Cigna, JetBlue, predictably Coke Industries, no, no shock there, and Toyota. You know, I'm never going to buy a Toyota. I know I shouldn't do that, but... Mm. So corporate PACs are also indirectly funding some of the 147 U.S. lawmakers who voted against certifying President Joe Biden's 2020 election victory. This is not a joke, people. And so, all right, we know there's anti-voter bills going on, but it gets worse than that. When dissent becomes criminalized, keep in mind, the First Amendment gives us not only the right to free speech, free press, to peaceably gather 
to uh, basically meet our government officials for redress of grievances. We have all that. And speech especially should never be criminalized. But in Kentucky it is. And I think it's very fitting that this outrageous anti-democratic attack is happening in Mitch McConnell's home state of Kentucky. Here's the one thing. They announced their intent about this bill that would make it a crime to insult a police officer or call them a name on the one-year anniversary of Breonna Taylor's murder by police. Those kind of things don't happen by accident. So as Americans, when they feel challenged, one of the first things they say is, you can't do that. I have freedom of speech. But do we? So this ties in with another action that Trump called for and Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is pushing for, and that is a reversal on a precedent-setting Supreme Court decision known as the New York Times v. Sullivan. Okay? Prior to the New York Times v. Sullivan, if even a newspaper issued a statement, and let's say it turned out to be libelous, but they didn't, they had no way of knowing it's time, they could be in some deep trouble. The, the Supreme Court expanded the pr- rights of press. So let me explain a little further. So the same week, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is pushing for basically a reversal of the New York Times v. Sullivan. And that is a landmark decision, and it permits the following. Quote, vehement, caustic, and unpleasantly sharp attacks on government officials, end quote. A lot of Americans don't realize that even after the First Amendment was written and ratified in 1791, there was still a thing called the Sedition Act. So if you insulted a government official, yeah, you could be put in jail. If that seems contradictory, well like everything else. So on the one-year anniversary of Breonna Taylor's murder by police, Kentucky's state senate approved a law criminalizing insults to the police. Okay? If this statute becomes a law in Kentucky, a cop could arrest anyone who who the cop feels hurled basically what they call offensive or derisive words at them. And these have to be words that are offensive or derisive that, quote, tend to provoke a violent response from a reasonable person. Could it get any more loosey-goosey? What that means is cops could, at their own discretion, arrest you, throw you in jail for saying anything that angers them. Because... What, what do we call offensive or derisive? Again, it's, it's got so many loopholes. It's so vague, you could drive a mass truck through it. And, you know, it's not going to stand the sniff test when it goes, when it's, if it becomes law, when it goes to court. But that may be too late because people will already have been silenced. They will be terrified to say anything to a police officer for fear of being arrested which is ironically what 
people of color go through all the time, but the statute is very vague, very overbroad, but it's in conjunction with the attacks on the Sullivan decision. And this is based on an article I should have told you earlier in Salon, written by Eric Berkowitz. And the title is How Dissent Gets Criminalized, Americans, America's Right to Insult the Government is Under Attack. Um, our rights to open, even crude dissent, are relatively recent and vulnerable to legislative and judicial crackdowns. Okay? So we're kind of scrolling down now. You have to remember, when Americans talk about how I have freedom of speech, I can say what I want, in terms of the history of this country, these measures which seek to criminalize speech, according to um, this writer, are anything but aberrations. are actually pretty routine in this country. And the people in authority, they want this veneer to make it look like they are actually doing the right thing and anything that might basically let the stench out, they feel threatened by. So again, keep in mind, the Louisville police bust into Breonna Taylor's home. They killed her. She hadn't been charged with anything. She committed no crimes. But in spite of that overwhelming firepower, in spite of the fact that they got away with it, the police still feel they need protection against words. That's how cowardly they are. And there is a rationale behind this obscene attack on the First Amendment, which is Machiavellian in nature, according to this author. Um, and this author, um, I'm sorry, Berkowitz, points out, uh, he speaks to, excuse me, I lost my place here, a sociologist named F.G. Bailey was quoted as saying that, quote, authority requires a mask. And they need the mask to conceal their failings and shield it from contempt. And even Machiavelli, Niccolo Machiavelli, knew this. Okay? You know, he, and this author goes back to even England in 1704, the England's Lord Chief Justice. Um, said that no government can be safe unless those who cause people have an ill opinion of it are punished. Okay? So this is a censorship law. But instead of just uh, threatening people with a slap suit, which is a lawsuit that can take, basically you can lose all your, everything you own just in an attempt to defend yourself against a lawsuit that has no merit, this adds a criminal component. So... And that's the thing, um, you know, Henry VIII of England, you know, executed people for treason for just saying a few words that he felt deprived him of his dignity, okay? But the United States, like England, their main weapon against dissent, even though we have the right to do this, was this, what they call doctrine of seditious libel. And in our beginning days, seditious libel allowed whipping, mutilation, and imprisonment 
quote for speech that can lower the public's esteem for the government, even or especially when the dissent was true, based in fact. So it didn't matter if what you were saying was true. You just didn't have a right to disagree. And so this is what we're dealing with. And even when the First Amendment was, as I said before, was ratified in 1791, it didn't stop charges of seditious libel. Okay? Seven years after the ratification of the First Amendment, Congress passed the Sedition Act, which made dissident speech a federal crime. And there was one congressman, and there were people that were charged with it. There was writings of a congressman, um, and then there was a drunkard, you know, a drunk who was thrown in jail because he expressed a wish that, quote, a cannonball would fly overhead and land in President John Adams' backside. I'm not kidding. So this is something where we have some real problems here, okay? Um, So how does the Sullivan Act come into it? The Sullivan decision, that is, I'm sorry. New York Times versus Sullivan was in 1964. And the Supreme Court declared that the Sedition Act had become, this was nullified. It was invalidated by what the court in 1964 called the, quote, the court of history. And then there were decisions after Sullivan that expanded the right to criticize government. Now, this is really frightening, people. Think about it. Our right to criticize the government really wasn't a solid right until 1964. No wonder people in my parents' generation were afraid to criticize the government. They weren't being cowards. They had a real reason to fear. And so, and yet, half of the states in the U.S. still have criminal libel statutes on the books, according to the ACLU. Criminal libel. Not about you know, having a judgment, having to pay money. This is putting you in jail. So, and about 20 prosecutions each year come about from this. There was a New Hampshire case of criminal libel in 2018, another one in Kansas in 2010, and I'm going to describe a few of them. So, in all their anti-democracy splendor, there was a New Hampshire man who was arrested in 2018. His crime... He wrote on Facebook that a cop who gave him a traffic ticket was, quote, dirty, and the local police chief covered up the matter. Now, if there's no evidence, I could see a traditional libel suit for damages. I can't see any criminality there. I don't understand why you'd put someone in jail for that. But that's what we're talking about. Um, In 2010, there was a Kansas man. And he was arrested and charged he put a, after he put the sign on his lawn. And the sign accused the town administrator of ignoring some sort of water drainage problem. You can't make this stuff up. Utah had a similar law, but it was struck down. And that was as documented again by the ACLU. Um, but it was struck down after some damage had been done. A 16-year-old boy was arrested because he called his high school this is high school. I'm thinking somebody is high school town drunk. 
Um, it was for something really trivial. But this is about squelching, you know, speech. But in 2018, okay, sorry, folks. In 2018, there was a South Carolina police union that challenged uh, a book on a school's reading list. What was the book? The title was The Hate You Give. It's an award-winning novel about police police brutality. You know, I don't have any kids, but if I didn't, I found out that the police union was actively involved in censoring uh, the reading list. I'd want to sue the police. That's just outrageous. The union claimed the book was, quote, almost an indoctrination of distrust of police, end quote. And then the book was banned in a lot of places. Now, keep in mind, if there's a distrust of police, it's because of crimes being committed by police on a regular level. Not because of some novel. So... This is kind of convoluted, uh, and I apologize for that because the problem is you've got all these attorneys that are working against us. This report's convoluted because the law is convoluted, and it shouldn't be. So this Kentucky law, this Kentucky statute goes in the law, okay? Um, It'll probably be struck down by the courts, but it could also be used as justification to overthrow the Sullivan decision. And we have to remember, basically, that one of the rights that we have that most Americans view as so absolutely critically important, the right to free speech, is relatively recent. Okay? And I mean, we weren't free from criminal prosecution for anything we said until 1964 and now a year practically to the day of that when Breonna Taylor was murdered by police they pushed this through the Kentucky State Senate and Berkowitz ends his article um, you know where he says quote as vulnerable as the tender sensibilities of Louisville riot police this is no time to criminalize speech End quote. He's right. Okay. And just for the record, Eric Berkowitz is a San Francisco-based writer, human rights lawyer, and journalist. And he has a book entitled Dangerous Ideas, A Brief History of Censorship in the West from the Ancients to Fake News. Something to look into. Now let's look at this report. Okay. There's some key findings. We've talked about some of them. First of all, this report, the authors of the report are Charlie Cray, Maggie Ellinger-Lock, Balabi Olabahu, I apologize for mispronouncing, and Valentina Stackel. Okay? The key findings, basically, and this deals with environmental rights because the first sentence of the introduction says, quote, A healthy democracy is a precondition for a healthy environment. And I go on with the quote, when everyone's vote counts and when everyone's constitutionally guaranteed right to peacefully protest is protected, our government becomes more accountable and capable of meeting the demand 
for racial justice and enacting solutions to the rapidly accelerating climate crisis, end quote. And as we said in other shows, there's movement to push through the For the People Act, which is known as H.R. 1 and S. 1, and that would close the loopholes in all these state laws that attack voting rights, all the excuses. So it's more of a technician's bill. And then the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, or H.R. 4, which is a civil rights act, really. The idea is to restore everything that was in the previous Voting Rights Act that was struck down by the court, by the conservative Supreme Court in the Shelby decision in 2013. So we have a lot of anti-protest bills, a lot of anti-voting rights bills. Um, you know, all of us want to see, you know, we, we're dealing with the, um, the blowback from the insurrection of January 6th. And while I want to see those insurrectionists punished, I do not want to see free speech rights eroded in the name of going after those people. We can go after the insurrectionists and not destroy free speech and our right to dissent in the process. So there's some key findings here. And I'm just going to read them off. Key findings. One, and just direct quote, dozens of state legislators are driving a two-pronged attack on democracy sponsoring both anti-voter and anti-protest bills. The next one, many companies back state legislators who sponsored both anti-voter and anti-protest bills. And we talked about that. Among which are AT&T, Comcast, RAI Services, Philip Morris, Altria, United Health Group, Dominion Energy, Zero, you know, we go through United Health Group, State Farm. The next main point, fossil fuel companies are among the companies that are the most invested in these anti-protest legislation. And that's because when we're dealing with these pipelines, for instance, we're talking about the water protectors, the only reason that those stories hit the mainstream media is because of the protest. Otherwise, the mainstream read corporate media would have never covered it. We know that. Another main point, a growing number of companies, they've spoken out in defense of democracy and voting rights. That's speaking on a both sides of your mouth thing. But these are the same companies that are giving money to legislators that are sponsoring these anti-voter and anti-protest bills. And that's been recent. Another Main finding, companies that stopped or paused, let's say, their PAC contributions to members of Congress, especially members of Congress that refused to certify Joe Biden's election, those are the same companies that contributed to groups that promoted the Stop the Steal rally. I'm going to say that one again, because that one, when it talks about massive hypocrisy, this one is beyond belief. The same companies that paused their PAC contributions to members of Congress that refused to certify Joe Biden's election in the Electoral College, people like Josh Hawley, those same companies contributed to groups that promoted the Stop the Steal rally that led to the, that became the insurrection on January 6th. That's something right there. Many of those same companies also sponsored 
much of the state-level anti-voter legislation introduced after January 6th. Another main point, a lot of these companies are caught in a chamber of contradictions because of actions taken by trade associations such as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So, for instance, executives from six companies that spoke out against state-level anti-voter legislation, namely IBM, Boston Consulting Group, United Airlines, Microsoft, Deloitte, and Ford, also serve on the Chamber of Commerce's Board of Directors, which is the Board of Directors for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is their principal policy-making body. So they knew they were lying, and that includes Bill Gates. So these, the report, one of the sections says, dollars to attack our vote. It doesn't get much more direct than that. There's a lot of bills that are anti-voter, anti-voter rights, and anti-dissent. And a lot of them have some commonalities, okay? A lot of these bills, what they do, well, here's the list. They prohibit automatic voter registration, or they severely limit or prohibit same-day voter registration. A lot of these laws repeal universal voting by mail and other safety provisions like drop boxes that were brought about in 2020 so that people could, part, could vote more safely during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm one of those people. I have COPD. And in my home state of Missouri, uh, I didn't have to, except by claiming that I had a medical condition, I didn't have to do anything else in order to get an absentee ballot. Now, Governor Parsons and the legislature revoked that now. So if I want to vote absentee again, because I live in an anti-mask, anti-vaccine state, uh, I have to have what they consider a legitimate excuse or it won't be permitted. God knows what that is. These bills also keep people from voting by mail unless they provide an excuse, which Missouri is, the, is backwards. But these bills restrict the kind of ID that you can use to vote and when you can apply for vote-by-mail ballots. Now, I remember when I was a kid, um, if you needed to vote, you didn't have to bring an ID. All you needed was a piece of mail that had your address and name on it like a utility bill, would have been enough. These bills also threaten voters who, let's say, request an absentee ballot, but they threaten them with prosecution if that person cannot prove an excuse, such as illness, active military status, something along those lines. So, for instance, you know, I have COPD, I can check that, but if they wanted to come after me, I suppose I would have to go back to the original doctor and, and violate my medical privacy to prove I have COPD. Okay. And threatening people with prosecution yet. Mm, it just gets better and better, doesn't it? It would prohibit city or township clerks from providing prepaid return postage for absentee voter ballots. It would re greatly reduce the number of ballot drop box locations and times, which is critical, especially in states like Georgia where you have a lot of people, it's a lot of lower income people. They work a lot of different jobs. And even though your employer is supposed to let you off to vote, frequently they don't. They just break the law. And if you don't get to the drop box, your vote doesn't count. 
limit early in-person voting, allow election officials to reduce the number of voting locations, uh, which means people would wait in longer lines. Some of these, these bills would delete people from voter rolls if they missed, like if they didn't vote in a recent election, or require those same voters to re-register every three years or be removed permanently from the list. It would shift election authority for partisan gain from local and county officials to the Secretary of State or vice versa, like in Georgia with their Jim Crow law. One of the most dangerous parts of it is the fact that um, if there's a challenge and they don't like the way an election went in a certain part of Georgia, the Secretary of State and the governor can just go, oh, we're just going to get different voting judges and put in their own people. These, uh, a lot of these bills would also change the rules relating to voter registration drives in ways that would make complying legally much more difficult. Okay. These all have racist intent. Okay. So that's what a lot of these bills do. There's no guesswork here. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce is the corporate club that's beating it down, okay? Um, and once again, the Chamber's against the For the People Act. So here's what's happening with that. Um, the Chamber is not required by campaign finance law to let us know or disclose who their members are, or how much funding each company gives for certain political purposes. And the chamber can withhold the information even though they have significant political expenditures. In the 2020 election cycle, the chamber uh, apparently made over $900,000 in political contributions. But in 2020, the chamber also spent nearly $82 million 82 million on lobbying the federal government, more than any other group. Um, one of their top priorities is to block the For the People Act. Okay, the chamber warned their members that supporting this, comp this comprehensive democracy reform bill could, quote, adversely affect their standing on its annual rating scorecard. So they are threatening, the chamber's threatening members of Congress. Okay, you're not, you're not conservative enough. Uh, it goes on, says the chamber claims to be, quote, deeply troubled by efforts at the state and federal level to enact election law changes on a partisan basis. And they acknowledge, quote, are, quote, more likely to erode access and security and undermine public confidence and the willingness of the American people to trust and accept future election outcomes, end quote. But the chamber, instead of supporting bills like H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. The Chamber wants a bipartisan commission on election reform, okay, which is just an attempt to delay any reform until after the congressional midterm elections in 22. The Chamber also misrepresents, according to this, pro, according to this report, provisions in the For the People Act um, that they claim are grounds for its rejection. Uh, the chamber uh, basically said that disclosure requirements for contributions of 10000 or more by single donors to independent organizations are, quote, severe penalties. They also claim that eliminating dark money contributions doesn't stop anyone from making 
the contribution is forces them to be disclosed. So basically people like the Cokes, they don't want everyone to know they're behind this because, you know, boycotts can happen. So another one of the Chamber's arguments against the For the People bill is that they claim it uses taxpayer funds to match small donor contributions. Um, that's not true. The matching funds allegedly would come from fees that are taken from civil and criminal financial penalties paid by companies that either commit tax crimes or other violations. So that's just a bare-faced lie on the part of the Chamber. Okay, but again, how often will you see somebody, whether it's a lobbyist or uh, a representative from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and they make these claims, and how often does any member of the mainstream media ever challenge the veracity of their claims? They don't. So the Chamber's Board of Directors um, is really the the – the little group that spearheads all this. All right, they're in charge of the chamber. And as I said before, members of the board that endorsed the We, the, we Stand for Democracy statement, but also, gave, you know, also backed the Stop the Steal rallies, include, as I said before, Boston Consulting Group, Delawood and Touche, Ford, IBM, Microsoft, United Airlines, other high-profile chamber members that endorsed the statement, but again, sent money elsewhere, include Accenture, American Airlines, American Express, Bank of America, BlackRock, Estee Lauder, Facebook, Goldman Sachs, Salesforce, Synchrony, Target, and Viacom, CBS. There's nothing new about this. This is a long program tonight. This is a lot of information. These are dollars, as I say in this report, to silence protests. They have a quote here by Martin Luther King, the late Martin Luther King Jr. from 1968. The quote reads, quote, somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the, is the right to protest for rights, end quote. And it's true. And we've seen that with the water protectors. We've seen that with Black Lives Matter. And the response is to criminalize dissent, criminalize free speech. A lot of the anti-protest bills, their intent is to not only marginalize and weaken protest movements, but to penalize, including with criminal penalties. One of the things they do is they establish harsh and redundant penalties for protest and give police and prosecutors arbitrary enforcement authority. Okay, they don't have to have proof. In Indiana, there's HB 1205 which would expand the definition of unlawful assembly. And this new definition of unlawful assembly would require that only three people, three, are somehow involved in what they call tumultuous conduct. And they define tumultuous conduct as conduct that results in, quote, the obstruction of law enforcement or other government function. But the idea of obstruction, there's no definition in the bill. It's open for interpretation. So the, the International Center for Not-for-Profit Law has claimed that, quote, as a result of these changes, someone in a three-person peaceful protest whose conduct is deemed likely to interfere with a government hearing, for instance, could be covered by the resulting riot statutes and charged with a misdemeanor carrying a mandatory 30-day sentence. Keep in mind, 
if you're a working person and you get 30 days in jail, you don't have a job when you come back. You've lost your job. You've lost your home or your apartment. This is serious, folks. There are some other anti-protest bills that include new and expanded sentencing, increased fines for what is peaceful, nonviolent actions. Um, again, there's some of them are reclassifying misdemeanors like trespass as felonies. Okay, some of them are taking these constitutionally protected activities and trying to label them as terrorism, you know, because God forbid we should have honest politics, haha. One of the anti-protest laws that was just signed into law was by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, okay? And this was in response to protests for racial justice across Florida. Um, and it drew immediate criticism by civil rights groups even some law enforcement people. The law carries, get this, a sentence of up to five years in prison for peaceful protest. You didn't have to do anything violent, didn't steal anything. For a peaceful protest, you get five years in prison in Florida under the new law that DeSantis signed. It could strip activists of their voting rights even again, if they didn't engage in any violent or disorderly conduct, you were there, boom, your voting rights are gone. It also has a threat of up to 15 years in prison for block, temporarily blocking traffic in a group of 25 or more. Now, I've never been a fan of the blocking traffic thing. I understand it's part of the civil rights movement. It's my own ignorance talking but it should not carry 15 years in prison. There are murderers that haven't gotten that. And a lot of these anti-protest bills definitely target communities of color. There's no guesswork here. It's obvious. Okay? There's another example in Kentucky, SB 211. It would bar anyone who's been convicted uh, under what's considered an overbroad and vague definition of rioting from receiving any sort of um, federal benefits, okay, for up to a year. And it could also open them up to mandatory minimum prison sentences as well. So if that bill passes, a lot of people in Kentucky basically are going to have to decide what's more important to them, their First Amendment right to join a peaceable rally, or are they going to have access to health care, housing, nutrition, and wanting to avoid jail. These anti-protest bills also marginalize protest movements and discourage public participation. Well, that's obvious. Again, you have some other things here. Uh, Indiana again, SB 198. The idea is they want to create a new Class B misdemeanor offense called enabling riot. And this would apply to anyone who, quote, knowingly witnesses the commission of a felony during an unlawful assembly and fails to immediately either leave the location or report the offense to law enforcement. Okay? Now, there's so many problems with that, it's just not even funny. Um, 
again, what, who's going to decide what's an unlawful assembly? The police, of course. And frequently the police are wrong. Let's face it, there are a lot of prosecutions in this country, especially in communities of color, and the only, the only crime committed was that you either disrespected or disobeyed a police officer, even though the police officer didn't actually have the right to order you about. Okay? And again, this is to just destroy any sort of dissent. Some of these laws seek to sanction and bankrupt organizations that support peaceful protests and movement building. That would probably include people like the ACLU, for instance. Indiana's SB 198 again creates a new financing and unlawful assembly class A misdemeanor. And you can get up to a year in jail for that. And you don't have to be a financier. This would target anyone who, quote, who gave, quote, anything of value to another person knowing that that person intended to commit civil disobedience as part of an unlawful assembly. This sounds more like Nazism the further I get into it. There's also felony charges that can come with that, with penalties of up to six years in prison. And that's for donors of any group that intends to commit civil disobedience. Again, this show is long tonight because this is serious. And then another, another aspect of why they're pushing these anti-protest laws is, again, to turn attention away, to distract the public from the real problem, to distract the public from the crimes that corporate has committed against all of us. Whether it's dirty water, like in Flint, or um, nuclear waste that was illegally dumped, in Westlake Landfill here in St. Louis, and that was, you know, Republic Services owns it. Who's the majority stockholder of Republic Services? Bill Gates. These bills also want to, according to the report, um, want to create division and encourage violence. Okay? They want to diminish American democracy in the eyes of the world. Well, I think Trump did a lot of that, but still. They also mention that under international law, the right to peaceably assemble is protected by Article 21 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. And that was ratified by the United States in 1992. And in 2010, the UN Human Rights Council created this position of special rapporteur on the rights to freedom of peaceful assembly uh, to monitor and report on threats of fe to freedom of assembly throughout the world. So we already have that right, but these legislators are just hell-bent on taking, stripping it away from us. Okay? Um, UN Special Rapporteur Mena Kai um, did an official mission to the United States in 2016. And Kai reported that America was, quote, struggling to live up to its ideals. Okay. Kai went on to describe what they called rampant racism and exclusion, um, especially of blacks. 
and unequal economic wealth distribution, especially after the financial crisis of 08. And of course, this creates increased demonstrations. Let's face it, the powers of be know that they are cracking the whip way too hard. And they want the police to be their, their gladiators, if you will, against all the rest of us. There's no legitimacy to any of this. And then, of course, there's a part of the report that is titled Underwriting Racism, Corporate Contributions to Anti-Protest uh, Bill support, uh, sorry, Sponsors and Supporters. And these are the 10 companies with the greatest total contributions to politicians sponsoring anti-protest bills. At the top of the list, in, in order of how much they gave, AT&T. Then Coke Industries and Subsidiaries. Then Comcast Corporation and Subsidiaries. Keep in mind, Coke Industries includes Georgia Pacific. Comcast and subsidiaries include NBC Universal, NBC Universal LLC. All those liberal people don't know they work for a fascist. Berkshire Hathaway and subsidiaries. That's BNSF Railway, Mid American, Pacific Corps, uh, NV Energy, Nevada Power, Geico, NetJets, and McLean. Hmm. My car insurance is a Geico. I'm going to be canceling that. Get someone else. Lester Properties, Duke Energy, Amazon, RAI Services, Philip Morris, USA, United Health Group, and Dominion Energy. Okay. Fossil fuel companies and anti-protest bills. Five oil and gas companies. Coke Industries, Marathon Petroleum, Chevron, Phillips 66, and Exxon. 11 electric utilities that are reliant on fossil fuels that contributed to this anti-protest politicians uh, in action. Berkshire Hathaway, Duke Energy, Dominion Energy, AEP, Southern Company, Pinnacle West, Arizona Public Service, Next Era, First Energy, Salt River Project, Teco Energy, Emera, and Amarin. And four natural gas utilities and distributors, NYSource, Atmos, Southwest Gas, IGS Ventures, IGS Energy, two railroad companies, CSX and Union Pacific. Fossil fuel has has an extensive fossil fuel industry has an extensive lobbying group. Okay. And the report looked at lobbying disclosure reports. And they found that oil and gas companies have actually sent by far the most resources to lobby for anti-protest critical infrastructure bills, okay? They're going after the water protectors. They're going after environmental activists who are tired of having their babies drink water and get a slug of lead every time they take a swallow. Maybe it's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not really. And some of the top companies behind that lobbying effort, Marathon Petroleum Group, ExxonMobil, Coke Industries, Flint Hill, Enbridge, and Bridge Pipeline, Spectra, Alliance Pipeline, TC Energy, which is TransCanada, Valero, Centerpoint Energy, Vectron, Energy Transfer, Magellan Midstream, and Dominion Resources. Okay. And if you sound surprised that there's a Canadian company, don't be. The fact is there are Canadian fossil fuel industry interests 
especially in terms of um, tar sands that spend a lot of money and they're very hypocritical okay they don't want the dirty energy but they're fine with selling it to others okay and it goes on we're, we're having a very long program I'm gonna skip ahead here you can read the report yourself actually you just go to Greenpeace <sighs> there are some recommendations okay and here they are one of them is one I'm just reading straight from the report support strong national standards for voting rights and election reform amen that means publicly support the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act or HR 4 and support the For the People Act which is HR 1 or S 1 by publicly supporting the bill make the politicians do it and if they don't follow through give them hell another obvious suggestion stop supporting politicians who sponsor or vote for anti-voter and anti-protest legislation okay after PAC contributions stop all political spending big money in politics has according to this report created a form of dis discrimination especially for communities of color that is structural it is systemic and it has to stop another one change the chamber this one's kind of funny actually um, if it weren't so sad that is and it alleges that if the chamber if, if these companies whether it's Microsoft or um, Toyota if they truly stand for democracy and the US Chamber of Commerce is opposing and fighting before the people act then guess what you need to withdraw from the chamber and withdraw for financial support and make sure that we can check on it okay and it goes on it reminds us that executives from six companies that endorsed the we stand for democracy statement that they released on April 14th saying we believe in democracy we don't believe in suppressing the vote yada 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 executives from IBM Boston Consulting Group United Airlines Microsoft Deloitte and Ford all serve on the Chamber of Commerce's Board of Directors which again is their governing body hello Bill wonder if Bill Gates is going to grow a conscience here's a point a solution that's incredibly important defend the right to dissent and it just goes stop supporting lawmakers at any level especially at the state level who either vote for or sponsor anti-protest legislation we don't need it we already have laws in the books against destruction of property we have laws in the books against criminal assault we have laws in the books for all that we don't need this redundant you know these redundant laws whose only reason for being is to end any form of protected dissent stop supporting ALEC the American Legislative Exchange Council as well as their regional and state affiliates stop supporting the Chamber of Commerce stop doing business with companies that lobby in support of anti-protest legislation that means we have to out them take away your support for any police association or other groups that lobby for anti-protest legislation 
refuse to hire people or contract with private security companies that have an established record of surveillance and infiltration into activist groups or who are connected to violent extremists and white supremacist groups. This is not hard to figure out, people. It just isn't. We dealt with a lot of stuff. We're going to be talking about the Sullivan Supreme Court decision again. But think about this. The anti-protest bills, have not, they're not only dangerous, but they're absurd. The idea that you can't tell a cop you suck will land you a prison sentence? Really? That's insane. That is a police state that they're trying to establish. And why? To protect the 1%. There's no guesswork here, people. And then they, they toss at us this idea of rule of law. Let's be honest about this. Rule of law was established going all the way back to Magna Carta. It's on the idea of fair and equal treatment to all and privilege for none. It, the idea of rule of law directly contradicts divine right of any sort of aristocrats or monarchs. Or the, and in this instance, since we don't have aristocracy by blood in this country, we have a form of self-appointed aristocracy by wealth and power. And they are outraged that we dare to want to rise above our appointed status in life. They're outraged by the fact that we want a fair deal. They're outraged by the fact that they should be held accountable, including Donald Trump, should be held accountable for his actions the same as, you know, the poorest of the poor. Now, unfortunately, wealthy corporate interests have arrogantly determined that the rule of law is not only just a quaint joke, but they want to they crush any of our rights. We see attacks on working people all the time. You know, I, I've said before that the black community especially is the, the political canary in the coal mine, if you will. They're the early warning system. Because whatever abuse is dished out to them is eventually going to make its way to all the rest of us. Seriously. Because people that want a lot of wealth, that want a lot of power, they're addicts. All right? Greed is an addiction. Nothing will ever be enough. Let's be honest about it. And the idea that for instance, after, you know, during this COVID crisis, you know, in my home state of Missouri, our moronic governor, Parsons, refused to accept any more federal assistance on unemployment benefits, even though it cost the state of Missouri nothing. And why did he do it? Because a lot of businesses are complaining, especially businesses that basically pay their, their people what can only be called slave wages. People are taking their unemployment insurance, and they're not going back to work. And I don't blame them, especially in the food industry where you're working in a a kitchen, let's say, with bad ventilation. A lot of people come down with COVID that way. 
And the fact is, why in the world would anybody want to risk their life for the minimum wage in Missouri, which is $7.25 an hour? And the unemployment that's paid in Missouri is, I believe, $320 a week. Now, if you, if you work 40 hours at minimum wage in Missouri, you make $290 a week. It's less than unemployment. Why shouldn't people try and negotiate en masse for a better deal for themselves? The fact is, the rich and these corporate entities are denying us our basic human rights. Not just political rights, but human rights too. The fact is, the billionaire class and their affluent subcontractors, uh, which are basically that middling amount of wealth, as well as the police to back them up, know that all of us, these unwashed masses, outnumber them. And that's why the police the police have to remain as the protectors of these self-appointed aristocrats, these oligarchs. The only way the 1% can maintain power is by criminalizing any action which challenges their authority. And so they feed the arrogant attitude of a lot of police officers. So they want it right into law now where basically a cop can arrest you and, and abuse you and throw you into jail for insulting them. There's nothing constitutional about it, but they're doing it anyway. So again, right now, a lot of the focus is more directly affecting communities of color as well as the political left. And these are two groups that are directly challenging the 1%. And especially in communities of color, especially the black community, as I said, they are the political canary in the coal mine. And the story was, before there was a lot of mechanization in mining, they, the miners would lower, you know, the little bucket or whatever with the canary in an open air cage into an area to find out if there was still oxygen. And after they brought in, I mean, after they pulled it up, if the canary came back and it was dead, they knew there was no oxygen, early warning system. If the canary came back alive, they could proceed. Make no mistake about it. The black community is the political canary in the coal mine in this country. And we need to heed them. We need to listen to them. Because when you agree with the idea that black lives matter, keep in mind, those that take offense to that, that particular statement don't know what they're talking about. You know, you could put the word T-O-O-2 after Black Lives Matter too, because in this country, black lives have not mattered. So, yes, we must make that statement, black lives matter, most definitely. No ifs, ands, or buts. And if we do not protect our brothers and sisters of color, I guarantee you we're next. So thrill out at you this week. I see that I have a caller from the 612 area code. I have no idea who it is, and I'm not going to answer because this is not talk. This is not like Rush Limbaugh. This is not Fox. I don't answer to people that want to just throw about and bandy about a lot of accusations. So 
these are dangerous bills. We're going to deal with it. There's going to be more coming at you. It was a long show. I thank you for being patient. You can look at the report yourself. It's from Greenpeace, Dollars versus Democracy, Companies, and the Attack on Voting Rights and Peaceful Protests. It is quite extensive. And uh, like I said, if we do not protect the weakest in our society, we're eventually next. And if we don't protect the weakest and the most abused in our society, then we can't actually say that we're moral anything. And with that, I say good night and God bless. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.